What is Peace Brain? Peace Brain is the synergistic connection between our mental and emotional bodies, blending the electrical power of the mind with the magnetic force of the heart. Listen and explore how to create unity worldwide as we blend science and metaphysics and open our hearts and minds to the possibilities of peace on earth and create the life we are each destined for. Featured guests range from angel communicators to zoologists and everything in between. Now here is your host, Dr. Gail Lash. Hello and welcome to the Peace Brain Show. This is your host, Dr. Gail Lash, and I'm very happy to have you here today. Today we have an amazing guest, Jenny Trethawen, and she is from South Africa, and we're going to be talking about baboons and conservation of animals and how we can all work together to achieve that. As always, I open the show with a quote, and I also have a transformative meditation at the end, so please stay tuned for that, our Peace Brain Meditation. So now I want to open with a quote, and I really like this one. This is from... Dr. Clarissa Pinkola Estes, and she is the author of Women Who Run with the Wolves, Myths and Stories of the Wild Woman Archetype. And she says, It is not given to us to know which acts or by whom will cause the critical mass to tip towards an enduring good. What is needed for dramatic change is an accumulation of acts, adding, adding to, adding more, continuing. We know that it does not take everyone on earth to bring justice and peace, but only a small determined group who will not give up during the first, second, or hundredth gale. Wow, so (laughs) we all must be persistent. That's what I get out of this quote, is that the value of persistence, the value of, you know, when we have a dream or a goal, that we must pursue it relentlessly, uh, not letting others throw us off course. And today I have a woman as a guest who is doing just that or has done that for many, many years, uh, Jenny Trithawen, and she is CEO or founder of Baboon Matters in South Africa. She's out of Cape Town. And let me read you her bio. For 25 years, Jenny has championed the rights of baboons in Cape Town. In 1990, she followed the euthanasia, following the euthanasia of a troop of baboons in Kamaki, um, she, together with Wally Peterson, formed Kamaki Environmental Awareness Group, or KEAG, which successfully lobbied for the protective status of baboons on the Cape Peninsula. KEAG was ahead of its time in many respects. They implemented one of the first alien clearing projects in Cape Town, and offered permaculture training when the method was still in its, in its infancy. In 2001, she left KEAG to start Baboon Matters, focusing on creating awareness for the plight of baboons living on the urban edge. Since then, she has been featured in over 40 documentaries, receiving numerous awards, published a book, and been personally commented on her work by Dr. Jane Goodall. She has addressed many thousands of learners, university students, academics, and residents of the affected areas, changing perceptions and giving people a better understanding of our primate relatives and how to live in harmony with them. 
You can find out more about Jenny at baboonmatters.org.za, or, and that's spelled B-A-B-O-O-N-M-A-T-T-E-R-S dot O-R-G dot Z-A. So welcome, Jenny, to the Peace Brain Show. Thank you so much for having me and the the boons with you. Yes, (laughs) that's true. That's true. You were... You were just out today with the troops. What What is a normal day with these baboon troops for you? Well, um, there is no normal day, um, but this week has been a really hard week for the baboons because um, what we know is that when young male baboons reach their sexual maturity, they, they leave their natal troops. And, of course, in Cape Town, the, the dilemma is that when they leave their natal troops, they can't follow sort of ancient traditional paths and find new new troops to join because of the very dense urbanization. So they kind of shut off from a lot of other troops. So when the, when the lads start leaving their natal troop, they inevitably go into the urban edge and they are classified as rogue baboons, or problem animals. And then inevitably they get uh, killed by the authorities. So this week we lost Johnny Bravo. He was killed yesterday. And one of the other baboons who had been injured, um, I was very worried for, so I had to go out and see how he was today. Um, But Jerome is looking fine, and um, he's still with the troop, got all of his kids with him. So, yeah, I just just really wanted to just make sure that they were safe. But there's no normal sort of day for me. Mm. So tell us a little bit about what you want to accomplish with baboon or what you have accomplished over the years with baboon matters you've been doing it for many many years and then we'll talk about you know today and where you want to go with it uh, thank you well yeah i mean i think that the most important thing that that we've been able to do through uh, baboon matters and all the work that many people have been doing is is bring the plight of baboons to the forefront so people understand better. Um, baboons are not considered an endangered species, um, and they are considered, and in fact, categorized as being a pest or a problem-causing animal uh, throughout South Africa. So what we've done through our work is try and show baboons as being sentient you know, beings and to show that they're highly intelligent, in fact, very like humans and so many of their emotions and the way that they look out for each other and so forth. Um, the, the protected status we were bitterly disappointed to discover actually had never been promulgated. So we discovered last year that after years of, of um, literature from the authorities in which it said the baboons were protected on the peninsula, we discovered that in fact they were not. So over South Africa, baboons can be hunted. Um, in many areas, you don't even need a permit. And it's, it's really, really sad that they have so little protection. So it feels... Girl, like I'm almost back at the beginning again, and we're now going to have to strive even harder to make sure that these animals are in fact protected in law. So tell me a little bit about, you know, Cape Town is a major city. I think it has over 3 million people, and it's there in this beautiful wild area of South Africa on the western end that has these wonderful national parks or areas. Why is there... I was going to say not enough room for the baboons or how can, be, uh, you know, is Cape Town expanding into these areas or is there just too many troops in these uh, to to be able to live comfortably in the national parks or how is it going with the land habitat? 
Well, Cape Town is one of the few cities in the world that has got a national park running through the, the, the city. So the entire length of the city um, is surrounded by well, a national park in the middle. Now, when the initial carrying capacities were done in 98 and 2002, um, the, it was sort of established that the available land would be able to contain nearly 900 baboons. But what we've seen happen in, in the years is that um, there's been rapid, rapid urbanization, on top of which we've had major consecutive felt fires, runaway fires. And so the Fainbos is not, re and then of course the major drought. So the Fainbos is not regenerated as well in some areas. And then right at the beginning in the bio, when you, I referred to alien removal, that's of course alien vegetation. And that has come back very, very quickly. So, so what we're seeing is that the baboons are under pressure from the land in that possibly the, you know, not quite as much food as we thought, although there would still be plenty of food for them. But the biggest problem, Gail, which I think everybody around the world is seeing, is that human beings are an incredibly wasteful species. We throw away a huge amount of food in our waste. And so whether it's raccoons or coyotes in America, polar bears we see now, um, and in South Africa, of course, it's baboons, they are come to our urban areas because they can get easy food rewards from our waste. Mm. And that is the biggest single point of conflict. Interesting. Thank you for sharing that. So what can we do about that? <laughs> well, you know, the biggest thing that I would encourage people to do, and we've been saying it over and over again, is, you know, people have got to start shopping a lot more consciously, you know, buying what you need. How is the food that you purchase packaged? You know, are you buying appropriate food? So, so we're trying to get people to 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 really embrace the, the conscious choices that start, you know, your, your, with your with your purchase, and then taking it all the way through. So, make the food that you need, buy the food that you need, and then if there do happen to be food waste or organic waste, how do you dispose of it? You know, you could compost it, you could use bakeshi methods, you could make a worm farm, but to just throw organic waste into you know, other waste happens all the time in, in South Africa still. And so that food waste is a huge source of attraction. So basically we want individuals to take responsibility right at the beginning for the choices they make when they purchase and then carry it right the way through to how they dispose of their waste. Got it. Oh, my goodness. That's fantastic. Um, so you have, I would imagine, like most cities, landfills that are where the trash is dumped that, as you're saying, contains not only the plastics and the metals, but or whatever is the waste, plus the food scraps. Are the baboons of, I mean, is that true, number one? And then are the baboons coming to these landfill areas as well? It is true, number one. The first part, it is true. There's a whole mix that goes into the landfills instead of it being separated at source. People are trying to separate at source more and more, but, you know, we've got massive housing issues in Cape Town. The, the landfill sites in Cape Town um, are not near baboon home range areas, so that's oh, not nice. a problem. But we, but the baboons do come into urban areas and get waste directly from the garbage bins. Got it. Okay. So it is a big problem, yeah. Right. So can is there, for example, I know in our home, uh, we're lucky to have a backyard, you know, with grass and everything or trees, and we've created a little compost area in the back on our property, um, just a you know, meter by meter, three feet by three feet, uh, square little box that we can throw our food waste in and have a little 
um, pot, a metal pot in the kitchen with a lid <laughs> that we throw all the food scraps into. So that I know we can do, but if people don't have land, like if they live in an apartment or something like that, or a high rise, where could they put their food waste in their, and create a compost? Are there community like gardens that possibly people could do that at, or what are you doing in Cape Town sort of to promote that? There's not enough being done on a on a municipal level at all, but there are individuals who are starting to recognise. So a lot of so there's some very very successful projects in the centre of Cape Town, where homeless people are being encouraged to grow vegetables for their own consumption as well as for sale. So I think it is slowly creeping in, but not nearly nearly enough. And um, people are still in the habit of just just tossing out everything and. Um, so it's going to take a lot of, I think, possibly change to the bylaws to make it, it happen more effectively. Um, it won't happen just through, you know, people encouraging each other. It will have to be a, a municipal bylaw change. So that's an interesting point. You know, we, we have policy and laws, and sometimes it really takes these strict laws to, to change old habits. <laughs> I know you work in schools and work with uh, bringing this awareness to people. But how do you think you're going to be successful in getting the laws changed or getting something that says, you know, no food waste permitted in, our, in your garbage that's in your bin? Well, I know that um, the, the solid waste department in the city of Cape Town, you know, is, is seriously looking at how to reduce food at source because obviously it's a huge issue. So um, they, are try they are looking more at ways to reduce food at source. And we've got some fantastic projects that have started um, in, in various communities where um, one of the large corporates in South Africa is encouraging schools to, to utilize part of, of, la of land at the school to grow vegetables. So, you know, it, it, I, I can't get involved in all of it, Gail, because it's just <laughs> too big an issue for me. Yes. So, but, but motivating that, that it should happen and advocating that it should happen is is, you know, what I've been trying to do. And then where the, you know, like in Komiki, for example, we have one of these communal gardens on the school. And so they would always be looking for compost. So it would be fantastic if people would just get in the habit of, you know, dropping off their organic waste there rather than putting in landfill. Um, and, and I know that they are, are looking at that, but, um, you know, it, I think many things are going to have to have to happen in parallel. Well, and you remind me of, you know, we're talking about the droughts and the fires. Uh, you had an amazing um, scare about a year and a half ago or a year ago when day zero of climate change, of, of running out of water, came to Cape Town. Um, I was fortunate enough to hear one of the Reverend, Reverend, I want to say Rachel Mackey, I may be getting her name wrong, but from Cape Town, give a presentation at the Parliament of World Religions on that day zero was coming to Cape Town and basically the reservoirs were so low with the water that everyone had to change their habits to, you know, the, the schools were closed, public restrooms had no water and had to use sanit hand sanitizers or uh, it, was, it was very dire and, and there were laws, not laws, or, but suggestions to... Uh, take a shower every other day and all kinds of wonderful things that evidently Cape Town reduced its water consumption by 50% and were able to have your reservoirs last until the rains came to bring the water level back up. 
And of course, I'd, you know, if you care to talk about that more, I'd love to hear more. But that's the kind of drasticness that I think sometimes humans require to make changes. Um, you know, with so I guess I'll allow, I, I would ask you to comment more about that and the climate change and what's happening as far as that goes. And then how can baboons maybe be, if you will, I know they're considered pests, which is unfortunate because they are amazing creatures. Um, I'm a primatologist, so I love, I love primates and, and love baboons. But for some, obviously, they might be considered why use, I was going to suggest using the baboon as a, um, as a logo, if you will, for the change to help the compost come about or the 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 change of the way people think but maybe that's a negative connotation not a positive connotation so how might the baboons encourage people in other words to or just conservation in general of the wildlife encourage people to be more mindful of their practice that daily practice well that that's a really interesting uh question and point so when you know we had that the very extreme drought as you said the whole of Cape Town really did pull together. I mean, you couldn't walk anywhere. People were exchanging water-saving tips and, you know, what how you could utilize water more effectively. And, and it was amazing. It was just absolutely incredible um, how everybody pulled together. But it's – it's so so if I were to take that, that drastic analogy and say to you, well, okay, what we've got in Cape Town at the moment is we've got one tiny little group of only four – female baboons left. Um, they are the surviving members of the Mysticlip troop. The rest of the troop of 18, and well, in fact more, because obviously infants have been born and died and juveniles. But there's four remaining girls. Now, we are trying to say to people, you know, we need to change our habits and we need to come up with a solution in order to save these animals. And what is so interesting is how um, everybody has got their own idea and it's been really difficult to get everybody to say, okay, well, we have to put aside individual ideas and work towards the best possible thing for the baboons. Um, otherwise, these girls will be killed because the, the protocol in Cape Town says if they come into the urban area on a limited number of times, then, then they can be t removed for being killed for being problematical. So it, it fascinates me how we can have a crisis that directly affects human beings and everybody will respond in a very, very positive way. We have a crisis that affects our wildlife. Um, we have very different approaches and, and, and no common – well, there is a common goal that people want to save them. I mean, we look at the rhinos, we look at the elephants. There's a common goal that people want to save the wildlife, but everybody works in their own separate ways. And at the end of the day, the animals are still the casualties. So I, I, I find that a fascinating thing. I haven't got a solution to it. Um, I just note that, that, you know, for the baboons, we're, everybody's up in arms. You know, they want the Mystic Lip girls to be saved. How are they going to be saved? We can't find agreement on. Interesting. Thank you for sharing that. That, that has, as you pointed out, worked the world over of when it, we're talking about our own species. We are very... Uh, you know, we obviously put ourselves first, which is human nature, is, is nature of any species. However, you're right, conservation has been struggling with this problem for, for eons. How to breed the empathy, if you will, or the compassion and the 
the unity of working together environmentalist groups. So are there others? I know you have more baboon troops outside of the Cape Town area you've been working with all these years. So there's more than just the four girls, but mm. um, but they certainly are your main priority right now because they're in the urban area. Are there other conservation organizations that that there can be this partnership or this unity formed for action? Yeah, I mean, look, we in, in Cape Town, we are all uh, meeting and, and sort of uh, establishing uh, collaboration so that we can work together for this cause. And definitely, you know, in, in the rest of South Africa, I mean, we've got huge uh, concerns for the amount of the, the, the numbers of baboons being killed up in the pine plantations. And this is a, a very, very, very difficult situation because that the, the numbers of baboons being slaughtered on a monthly basis are just huge. And it, it can only be a negative impact to the population, a population sink in that in that region. So we are getting um, larger groups working together and collaborating together and, and recognizing that, that actually all of our wildlife needs better protection. And, and that has been fantastic. So we've been working with um, some of the faith organizations and some of the big wildlife organizations. And then sort of closer to home, we had different groups that sort of worked alongside each other and are actually collaborating together to, to look to see how we can um, achieve better protection for the baboons. So what has worked so far? That, that collaboration, obviously, but how? what are the successes you've had? For saving the baboon. Well, I think I think okay. One of the successes that that I I've really enjoyed was, for example, when we did a field trip to Namakoland, um, which was right in the middle of the drought. And when we arrived, the the farmers were were very very angry. You're talking about very low income subsistence farmers living in in very arid desert like conditions, and they felt that the baboons were now eating all of their their goats and sheep. Um, and we, after we workshopped with these farmers and they had been able to express their anger, first of all, and then we started looking for solutions. And it seemed that actually the main point of concern was that the baboons had worked out how to open the water storage tanks. And, and every now and again, a baboon would fall into the tank. And when they fell into the tank, they drowned and they couldn't get out and their body decomposed. Now, that was a huge problem for these um, very subsistence level farmers because you've then got to drain all that precious water away and you've got to go miles, kilometers into the nearest uh, areas to get the, the chemicals to clean the tanks efficiently because you can't have dead bodies floating in water. So, so for them, this was a very, very costly exercise as well as, as I said, the waste of the precious water. So at the end of the workshop, we came down to, well, the best thing that they could do is actually secure the tanks so that the baboons couldn't get into the tanks. And then, they would, and, and and for us, it seems so obvious. I mean, I, I laugh at it, but but for the guys who were dealing with, you know, this myriad of drought-related crises on a daily basis, they hadn't got to the point of actually securing the tanks so the baboons couldn't get in. Right. And once they they, they felt relieved that they had a solution, and you know, we suggested ways of possibly creating water points for the baboon so that, you know, and, and the other wildlife too. And and they felt a lot um, that they'd achieved something huge. So for me, I look at it and I think, well, 
it was so obvious, but sometimes things are not obvious when you when you're right in the middle of them. Exactly. Yes, and they were empowered to make that yeah. change. Absolutely. Congratulations. And and that sometimes we need that outside reference to be able to see the solutions that you're right when we're right in the middle of it. It's hard to find those answers. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, sometimes like after the big fires, um, you know, fires are, are very, very powerful. And when you've had these massive, massive fires where many homes have been burned to the ground, people have lost all their possessions, uh, there's a huge sense of people wanting to do something to help. And typically what they do is provide food, food and water for the wildlife. The problem with that is that they put it in areas that attract wildlife into to dangerous situations. So alongside the edge of roads, for example, um, or, or bringing baboons into town. Um, and you know, then people say, well, yes, but they only want to put the food for the birds. Well, the baboons don't understand that that food is just for the b birds and not for them. Mm -hmm. So. You've got these difficult situations now down the garden. We've had very, very big fires in the Overstrand community. I mean, massive, massive fires this summer. And and people genuinely really want to, to do something to help. And the problem that we find is, is to do, direct that energy that it becomes a good, positive outcome for the wildlife um, and not, not just that people feel better about themselves. And that's a really difficult thing to do because – uh, volunteers get tired quite quickly and then you know projects fall away so it, it's really difficult though, those sorts of problems. Have you been able to work with the schools on those solutions in other words to say when there's a fire and you want to help the wildlife here are some ways you can do it to direct them in the in the correct manner? I haven't been with the schools after the fires no um, Gail my, my work in the in the schools has been more on um, on waste management and what what to do when 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 the schools when the learners see baboons. So, for example, we have some schools they don't come into the schools uh, so much as they used to um, because the the areas that the baboons are now being managed in are very small areas. But for example, in Komiki, um, when the baboons would come down, you know, we would have to go and work a lot with very young learners so that they knew what to do. You know not to confront the baboons over food, just that still let the baboons walk through. And I mean, it, the, the, the kids were amazing, you know, they, they were very, very eager to learn and very willing to learn about the baboons. So our focus has been more on the impact of, of food and waste and, you know, just throwing litter down causes all sorts of wildlife to come into areas, you know, it's, it's, if you toss your litter out of the car, you know, small mice may go and see what's in the packet. There might be just enough for them and then they get, knocked over, then, you know, owls come and, and it's just this whole death chain by the road. So, so we've really been focusing on, on waste management for, for many years now. That's been the main thing that we've been trying to get across is, is to, to, to make conscious efforts with what you buy and how you dispose of it. Excellent. There are some, you're reminding me, there's some wonderful movies out there and one is called, I believe, um, Reaching to Zero or... I'm trying to remember exactly what it is, but it's really about getting to zero waste. <laughs> so it is, it's, it goes into some examples of municipal solutions or municipal, the way that waste is handled in our cities. And it's, it's pretty eye-opening about how much waste we humans create. So that is a whole 
issue for our planet right now, not only with plastics and and uh, the food waste, but but everything that has to do with with work with how we impact the world and not only our own environment but the environment of animals. So yes, you're tackling a huge issue here that has many ramifications. Uh, what would you like to see Baboon Matters accomplish in this next year? Sure. In the next year, um, I mean, obviously, it would be really, really important that we do have a successful outcome for the, the Mystic Cliff Girls, the, 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 the four. But beyond that, we are, are focusing a lot of our efforts now on um, education videos, which reach a, a much, much wider audience. So rather than me going and speaking to a school, we can put out videos which reach huge, huge, huge audiences. So we, we're looking at doing a lot more of, of that sort of work. Uh, what I would really love to achieve this year, and we're hoping to achieve very quickly, is a moratorium on the killing of baboons, specifically in Cape Town. And the reason that we are focusing on Cape Town is that because Cape Town has run the longest ever baboon management project and put a lot of money towards conservation of baboons, a lot of other areas look to see what's happening in Cape Town as their lead. So if we can achieve a moratorium and get people to realize, you know, for, for too long now, um, that the, the mindset has been that if you kill an individual problem animal, you solve the problem. And of course, we all know that that simply does not work. It, it, it's the wrong mindset. It doesn't work. And we've got to challenge our big human brains to come up with other solutions. You know, you can't just be killing individual animals the whole time and thinking it's, it's the solution. So if we can achieve that moratorium in Cape Town, no more animals killed. You know, we had Johnny Bravo killed yesterday. No more. And then really start applying our minds to, to what other solutions are there. You know, if, if it's waste management, then how are we going to achieve this? But to just continuously think we can just kill individual problems, it's got to stop. Well, you touch on the, the whole issue of humans and creating peace. And, you know, a war is our mindset of war will solve the issues and create peace. But we all know that that is not true. War just keeps... It may handle the specific issue, as you just said, for that one moment or that one uh, enemy, <laughs> that, but it's not going to solve the issues that really are underlying all conflicts in any situations. Those need, need this consultation you're, you're referring to and these, the unifying solutions that people can come up to with how to move forward in a win-win scenario. So, yeah. yes. And, and and I think when you talk about, you know, the warlike situations, it's interesting how terminology um, becomes entrenched and accepted. So the terminology around baboons is very warlike. You know, the, the, the service provider who manages the project speaks about holding the line if they break the line. Um, baboons have got categories of raiding behavior. You know, category one is this, category three is unacceptable, he will be killed. And so it's... it's the terminology criminalizes baboons for human behavior, breaking and entering a house. Baboons don't break and enter houses. You know, baboons are baboons. They, they are opportunistically gathering food in places that they can. And it's much easier for a baboon to go into the urban edge and secure waste uh, food from our refuse than it is to spend a whole day foraging in Fainboss. Fainboss is a very nutrient-poor biome. So, you know, 
But to criminalize them in those terms has become completely acceptable. You know, people talking about, you know, he, he broke and entered. He, he um, attacked somebody. You know? how, how did he attack? What did he do? Baboons don't attack people. What happened? And you find out, well, basically he was in the house. She had food. He pushed past her, grabbed the banana and walked out. You know, that's not an attack. But, but because people are at war, uh, we, 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 we use this terminology and we just accept it and, and fall into these patterns. And so changing that ter- the terminology so that it's less aggressive and less warlike, I think. Well, and you're, you're talking also about teaching animal behavior because just to know that how these animals work in their natural troop and their social settings in foraging for food and how they would grab food from, you know, one of their conspecifics. It needs to be taught that this is not, these are natural behaviors. These are part of their, their way of being. Uh, And it's not anything, we, we tend to anthropomorphize our animals. And to some extent that can work for empathy and compassion when we name them such as you have, and when we can use them in how are they similar to humans, but you are correct when we start to make them that they only, if they don't do things in a human way or they do things in a bad human way, that they're wrong or they need to be killed. And that's, that's just, I was going to say stupid. That's just not, they, they don't, people don't understand that animals have a different way of being. And yeah. so we need to teach that animal behavior is very different than us. Yeah. And it, yeah. And it, I mean, you know, some of the, the common misconceptions I'm, I'm sure as a primatologist, you're well aware of, but for example, the fear grimace, you know, so many people take the baboon fear grimace as a sign, you know, that they are, I mean, I even hear, hear the term baboons growled at me, you know, he bared his teeth and growled at me. <laughs> right. Well, no, yeah. Baboons don't growl, don't growl. Um, and the, the, when, you know, that the fear grimace is such a specific facial gesture, you know, and that the face pulled back, difficult to describe over the radio, but, but um, that people need to understand that at that point the animal is, is actually scared, and yes. um, he's not aggressive at all, he's actually scared. And when I explain that to people, I mean, today with the horses, it, you know, it was just the most fascinating Situation, girl, because there we have a, a wild troop of baboons in amongst um, a herd of rescued horses, and these horses have all come from extreme situations uh, and been rescued. And um, you know, there there is a definite sense of—I mean, it's just first of all unbelievably peaceful to watch them. Um, they're not stupid with each other. <laughs> um, the horses definitely have first right at the foods, and the baboons don't challenge that in any way. But then you will see, you know, a mother baboon grooming her her juvenile literally within in a few meters from the horse's feet. No threat, no challenge, no, it just, you know, a mutual understanding and respect, which is just astonishing. It's beautiful to see, actually. Mm-hmm. Yes. So have you filmed some of that for your videos? I have done a little bit. Um, I was mainly taking photographs today. Um, one of the, the males there, Jerome, um, had been, there'd been a challenge to the alpha status. So Jerome and Julius had been fighting and I mainly wanted to see the condition of Jerome's jaw. So I haven't done much filming yet, but I definitely will because it is just such an astonishing, it's, it, it's a beautiful, beautiful project to see. You know, Jill, as I said, has rescued these horses from 
extreme situations and the, the horses are just so wonderful in themselves and then you know the baboons just it's just a wonderful wonderful environment to see yeah this this sounds like it could be a great um <clears throat> collaboration excuse me <clears throat> collaboration to work with the lady who has the horses and and baboon matters with the baboons too you know people have an affinity for horses we as humans so we have empathy and compassion for horses if if you somehow could weave the story of the baboons and the horses together the, it, do you think it would help people I, feel I'm, better about I'm, baboons <laughs> i think so i i i have started thinking along those lines and and gathering um photographs and i shall definitely go and do a little bit of filming i mean it's just it's just um, absolutely, I'm entranced by, by what I'm seeing there. Um, and so I think if I am, I'm sure other people will be too. So it's just, you know, how to capture it and tell the story because, you know, the story of the, of the horses and the baboons is, each of them are unique, you know. Um, some of the, the conditions that the horses have been rescued from uh, just, you know, would break your heart. But here yeah, they are with baboons who also would break your heart. And yes. yet you know, just beautiful together. Yes. I mean, you've described some conditions with the baboons that also could break your heart. So it's, um, it feels to me, you know, as humans, we love stories and we, everything is a story, everything. <laughs> uh, and thank you for sharing your story about with baboon matters. And I just want to reiterate for anyone who's listening, I'm speaking with Jenny Trithroen and she is from Cape Town, South Africa. Uh, we're talking about her, her organization, Baboon Matters, and how to protect the baboons through conservation measures or through policy changes, through our human new actions that we can create. It is so stories are so powerful. I know you've written a book. I'm I have not read it. I is there are there other ways that you can get these stories out? I guess that's my question and make them more this is where I talked about anthropomizing, well, you know, making making baboons be more human-like in a way or more relatable that we can understand and appreciate the baboons. Yeah, Gil, definitely. I mean, through the, we started off with, as I said to the educational videos, but what I've just finished doing is uploading a backlog of um, video data that, that we collected over the years. And they are just, amazing stories in there. I mean, just amazing, amazing stories. So the idea is that we would like to to put, using the video uh, that we've got, the video images, I mean, just one little story of Braveheart, for example. He was a little juvenile baboon who one of the, the incoming males, Jesse, um, had hurt him in a displaced aggression. And he was very badly injured. His, his, um, his hips were badly injured. And the troop would not give up on Braveheart. They carried little Braveheart for nearly two months, and then he started recovering and getting better and moving around. It was just astonishing for me to see how they all would take it in turns because he's a big juvenile. And um, as he was getting better and moving around more and starting to regain the use of his his legs, one day he just disappeared. And we never found his body. Just absolutely heartbreaking. Um and the monitors all gave up their days off, and we, we literally combed the mountainside. We could not find Braveheart. But I've got all the videos of, of Braveheart, and we will definitely 
put his little story onto a video and, and, and that and many others and, and get them out so that people can can see these individual little tales about individual baboons and recognize that they are just as everybody's individual as we are. You know, you're making me <clears throat> visualize a, a children's book that's illustrated with these stories. Have you thought about that? Doing children's we, books of each story? We have done, um, we've done a, a little <clears throat> A to Z of, um, we call it Mikey Mohican, who was another little individual baboon who had a little Mohican hairdo. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, we did an A to Z for him, which is very, very popular. We've, we've distributed very widely to all the schools because it's, it's great. It's, it's a fun way. My eldest son actually wrote it, um, and it's just lovely little rhyme. So we, we're now looking at going back and doing another book like that. But for the there is another um, book about Eric, which is not written by us, but about baboons. And, yes, I do have some stories of my own in, in the pipeline, which I hope to get out um, at some point. <laughs> so it's just, yeah, I, I would like to get them out more because I think that the – yeah, just to show baboons in a, in a really positive way. Right. You have done so much. I want to ask you, how can the audience listening help or support you? Um, Gail, the, the, I mean, the main thing that, that baboons need is, is funding. You know, funding is just so unbelievably difficult um, for baboons because they're not an endangered species. Although I do suspect that over much of South Africa, their numbers are dropping Hugely, and I just because there's never been an official census, I don't think people are aware of it yet. Funding is a big, big issue, but then we are going to be launching a campaign in the next two weeks on our Facebook and web where we are asking people to pledge support for baboons, and that will be really important so that we can demonstrate that there's actually a huge and it's going to be fun, it's going to be a fun campaign that people can, can join in with. Um, so we, we're just putting that all together now and. As many people around the world who participate in that campaign will be fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so we are to go to the Baboon Matters Facebook page and find that in another couple weeks. Yeah, we we're hoping to get it out. We just it's quite a lot of work, so we're hoping to get it out uh, as I said in the next couple of weeks, and then um, that'll go out very broadly, I think. And uh, we we had a lot of fun a couple of years ago. We did a project called Hands Up for Baboons, and we had people from all over the world putting up their hands for baboons. It was great fun. So and people just felt positive doing something that was engaging and fun. So we we're looking at a similar concept, but um, yeah, excellent. Be rolling up. Yeah, no, that's excellent. Um, oh gosh, there are so many issues here to talk about. Mm. I'm trying to think what to ask you next. <laughs> we, we, uh, you know, as far as here I am in the United States and you are in South Africa, besides these Facebook campaigns, uh, as you very rightly pointed out here in the United States, we have issues with wolves, with, um, with all kinds of other coyotes and species that we figure are, are nuisance species as well. So it's happening all over the world about these, quote, nuisance or um, species that interact with humans, and we don't feel that that's correct, that they should be doing so. How can we change? I know this is a very broad question, but how can people change their mindset about animals being nuisances or, um, how, you know, coexisting with us peacefully? 
I mean, I think I think a lot of it does have to do with with awareness about understanding the individual species. Um, but I also do think that for the humans, our biggest, our greatest challenge across the globe is our consumer, our, our consumption of, of of resources and how we use those resources. And you know, um, I think it applies across the board. You know, why do coyotes come into? I mean, there was that great little movie years ago, I can't remember what it was called, Across the Hedge or something like that, where all the little animals stopped doing what they normally did to gather food because it was just so easy to go into the urban areas and get food. I, I can't remember the name of it. I'm sorry. But I think it is a worldwide phenomenon. And in, in India, I know that, you know, the monkeys come have become very, very used to just coming into areas and getting food. Um, Culturally, there's not as much uh, will to have animals killed in, in a lot of the Asian countries. But how do you how do you deal with it? So I think we've all got a lot to learn from each other. And I think, you know, possibly on a very deep level, animals are also teaching us that we've got to start watching our, our, our planet and our resources. We're an incredibly lazy species, human beings. You know, we just take what we want and dispose of it. And maybe they're teaching us that we've got to start taking a lot more care. I don't know. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Thank you. I, I had to laugh because you're correct. We are a lazy species. We get caught in these. We don't have to grow our own food. We don't have to know where it comes from. We, we just go to the grocery store and buy it. And it's in, you know, in all of our urban centers. Obviously, the farmers know this, but most of the people in these urban centers including myself, do not have to be aware of that if we don't choose to be aware of it. So we are changing our habits, and this, of course, is coming along with this huge climate change and everything that's happening on our world that we do need to change our habits. More, yeah, more, more than just the, the um, lazy with resources, I think we're also very lazy with our emotions and lazy with, um, with what we learn and then how we apply what we've learned. You know, I mean... If I just think about what is the biggest driver for, for baboons or problem animals being killed, it's because people feel angry. Um, and so we have a very quick outlet for our anger. So, you know, a lot of times um, people will will want to, to kill a baboon because he's caused damage. They go out and they shoot the wrong baboon. They'll shoot the mummy baboon because that's the last one that they found. So we have a very we 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 lazy with our emotions as well. You know, we we're not trained to express our our joy and our love in a positive way. We we you know, it's I don't know. It's just somehow easier to just be angry than it is to be joyful and positive. And and I think that's also quite lazy. It becomes a lazy habit to be angry the whole time. What a what a great observation. You are absolutely correct. It's about being aware of every moment of every day of our actions, our emotions, uh, our thoughts, and that is difficult, but that is, I think, the goal of every human being or every spiritual practice of who we are. So, Jenny, we're getting toward the end of the show. Um, would you like to, what would you like to say to our listeners as you're closing? Oh, wow. Well, thank you so much for um, allowing myself and the baboons uh, some space and your time and your hearts, and um yeah, I just uh, hope and pray that that uh, as we go forward with our campaigns and our attempts to protect baboons, that we get as much support as we possibly can from the international community as well as from South Africa. 
Thank you. I, you know, so if so, certainly people should go to Baboon Matters Facebook page. And it, does it have another title other than Baboon Matters? No, Baboon. If you go to Baboon Matters, we're on Instagram, uh, our webpage, and Facebook. It's all just it, it is called Baboon Matters, and there's a lot of of information there, and we we're trying to update it all the time. So lots lots happening on on both on social media. Excellent, yeah. excellent. No, thank you for that. Um, wow, fantastic. I, you know, this is a long-term goal of mine is to have people and animals become in harmony. And it's, it has been a difficult road to walk um, for anyone working in conservation. However, the rewards are so fantastic when, when we can achieve that unity, that understanding, and have that beautiful awareness of watching wildlife and knowing that that's just our brothers and sisters of other species on the planet and that we need each other. So I wish you well and thank you for all the work you're doing and anyone listening. Uh, we've been speaking with Jenny Trithawin and she is of baboonmatters.org.za and that's in South Africa and Cape Town. So thank you, Jenny, for being on the Peace Brain Show. Thank you so much. <laughs> So now everyone just take a breath um, and think about the wildlife you may have around you. We're going to go into the Peace Brain Meditation just for the end of the show. Um, so take a breath, just get comfortable in your chair wherever you are. And I invite you to close your eyes or not, it's up to you. So as I said, think about the wildlife around you. You may live in an urban setting. You may live on a farm, a rural area. You may be fortunate to have much wildlife around you, and actually you probably do, no matter where you are. Even in these urban centers, there is much wildlife around you. The birds, the squirrels, the, the insects, and then the mammals that roam in our cities, our streets. I could name off species here in the United States, but think about the ones here, wherever you are. And I invite you to feel that love in your heart, the love you have for Mother Nature, for her gifts, the love that you are so capable of giving to others, to those whom you love in your life. Extend it out to those wild creatures to those beautiful songbirds, to the plants, to the insects, as I was saying, who help pollinate and produce our food, to all of the crickets, the turtles, the snakes, the baboons, the monkeys, the lions, the elephants, the rats, <laughs> the roaches, <laughs> everything, all of the beautiful wildlife that is around you, you are not alone on the planet. And many times we as human beings think we are. And because of our prowess, because of our intelligence, because of our manipulation abilities of using the resources around the planet, we think we are in charge. But in truth, it's about being in harmony with Mother Nature. It's about appreciation of the diversity 
of species on this planet. So again, take a breath and I invite you to feel gratitude as well as the love that you're sending. Send gratitude to all of the species that are around you, to that beautiful opportunity you have to hear the birds sing in the morning, to hear the crickets do their, their wonderful chirping at the sounds that they have. And feel at one with them. I invite you also to, to think about when you were in nature last time, that you felt this wonderful peacefulness. Maybe hiking along a trail or walking along a beach. How you were able to really feel the wind in your face or the smell of the pines or the, the trees around you. These trees give us oxygen. They help us clean the air. And in fact, I was listening to a podcast that said if we can plant trees in all those those areas that can support them, we could probably change all the carbon emissions that we have in the air and sequester them and make our air clean. So it's important to honor the wildlife, to honor this balance, this cooperation, and to know that really the problems are caused by us, <laughs> us humans, in our actions and our habits, where we're not aware of the species around us and how to harmonize our lives with them. So in feeling that love and that gratitude, I invite you to have a smile on your face, to then next time you go out into nature, to really be aware, to say hello, to the wildlife around you. And then also to bring your attention to the wildlife around the planet. In many instances, we can't do much about wildlife that is not in our own backyard. But if you choose, you can send your dollars, your, your other currencies, your Bitcoin, to, to these conservation organizations such as Baboon Matters. You can also do the activities that are coming up, such as the ones on the Facebook page of Baboon Matters. It's truly about building awareness and teaching your children. So if you have children around you, teach them to love nature. I invite you to, to open your heart and open their hearts to the beautiful world around you. We work with zoos and aquariums and if you have a really wonderful zoo near you, that's also another opportunity to start to learn about wildlife, as well as these wonderful national parks and city parks. So take a breath. Think about the next time you will forage in nature yourself. <laughs> forage for that peacefulness. Forage for that emotional support. And know that we can work together. We have positive successes. There are solutions that work well for both humans and wildlife. We just have to think about them. We have to take our time to be in that calm state, that unified state of consultation, of finding what works best for all, those win-win solutions. So if you choose, you can be active in your own community, your own developments, your own cityscape, 
to help the wildlife in your backyard, as well as internationally. So you can open your eyes, take a breath. Thank you for tuning into nature. Thank you for sending your love and your gratitude to her and all the species around you. And thank you for tuning in today to the Peace Brain Show. I really appreciate it. You can find out again more about my guest, Jenny Trithawan, at uh, baboonmatters.org.za. That's B-A-B-O-O-N-M-A-T-T-E-R-S dot O-R-G dot Z-A. And check her out and uh, put in your love for the baboons and how people can work better with baboons. And of course, we talked a lot about changing our habits like waste, our food waste production. Be aware of your own community and I invite you to just start something local as well as global. And if you want to find out more about me, Dr. Gail Lash, you can go to my website, tourismforpeace.com or email me at hello at peacebrain.org. So now please go forth and activate your peace brain and create your own peace park where you can have these conversations and, and dialogue with nature and with humans and put it on our World Peace Trails map. So thank you so much for tuning in today to the Peace Brain Show. Many, many blessings. Namaste. Thank you for joining us on the Peace Brain Show. You can find us at tourismforpeace.com. Be sure to check out Dr. Gale's Akashic Records readings, her peace master plans for your business or organization, and her book, Hashtag Opt for Peace, Nine Essential Steps to Achieving Peace, Power, and Prosperity. Tune in to BBS Radio, Station One, every other Wednesday at 6 p.m. Pacific and 9 p.m. Eastern to the Peace Brain Show for your installment of wonder, inspiration, and practical peace.